Welcome back to this week's episode of the Get Ready Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Credit. Alongside me is Grant. As always, we got a very special guest today. Grant, I'm excited because we always have our own ideas and we always talk about what we believe in. Um, and we're going to challenge some of those, not in a necessarily a bad way, but a very productive way where we're going to bring in some other, I don't want to necessarily, I won't, I won't put them too high. And I won't put the pressure on him too much. Just call him an expert, but he knows a lot more about things that we don't know. Um, so we're bringing them on. So Grant, what do you, what do you think so far? Are you excited? Well, I'm stoked. This is our first episode uh, in 2021. I mean, we did book club last week. We read a book called zero to one. Not sure if our guest has heard of it. We, we recommend it. Uh, it sounds like our guest is pretty big into the crypto space and has a lot of background knowledge. So I'm excited. I, I've never met him, heard his voice, nothing. So um, I'm going to hear what he has to say, maybe challenge him. I maybe agree with him. I have no idea. So why don't you, why don't you introduce him? The best part is you went out on a ledge. I was like, no, I got this guy. I got this guy. So I'm bringing on Alec Nelson. Uh, real quick backstory how I know this guy. Back in 2017, um, he was really good friends with my roommate, and I was really interested in Bitcoin. And, you know, my roommate Aaron, as, as you mentioned, uh, I, well, maybe it might have been pre-pod. He's like, hey, my other buddy Alec knows a lot about Bitcoin. He's in it a lot. And I was like, well, let's let's meet and hang out. I want to at least ask him some broader questions about this stuff. So we're going to bring on Alec. Alec, what's going on, man? Hey, not a whole lot. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to do this. I, this is actually my first time, I, I think, ever doing a podcast like this. So, yeah, hopefully it goes well. I, I, I trust that it will go well. So thanks for coming on here today. We're, we're having a nice little a little beer, a little whiskey. It's going to be a good conversation. So go ahead. Give us the quick synopsis. Give us, you know, where you're from, who you are, kind of your, your story, what you're studying now, and then kind of what got you, you know, what got you into Bitcoin and overall crypto, actually. Yeah. So I'm originally from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I grew up there and moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, shortly after or immediately after high school uh, to attend the University of Utah. Um, I did six years of undergraduate work there. I double majored in applied mathematics and sculpture and computing, which was a degree that I designed and proposed through the university that mixed uh, physics, mechanical engineering, a little bit of computer science, a little bit of math. Um, I obtained a physics minor as well. So have a, a decently strong um, scientific uh, foundation, if you will. Um, after I graduated, I, I, that must have been right in 2017 when I graduated, and it was kind of the perfect storm. I got into Bitcoin that summer, um, took two years off, uh, not really, just kind of floating around doing different jobs, um, and then decided to start a master's program and it was a, a high school friend of mine, Aaron actually, who was involved with this research group up at the university. And I, I started working with him a little bit, just kind of doing side jobs to help him with his thesis project that he was currently enrolled in a master's program. Uh, he got me a job there, just kind of doing some random work and it turned into a full-fledged research position at the university. and. I'm currently doing that as I finish up my last semester uh, for my master's in computing. So there's a lot to take in there, right? Yeah. So, what I'm going to jump in here, Grant, first off, I want, to, I want to go through the process before we get into all this stuff, because I think it's important to know like who you are and like how you think through things. But like, 
you show up to school one day and you're like, nah, I don't want to major in any of this stuff. I want to do math and sculpting. <laughs> Walk like you said, you went and like pitched the university to basically get this cleared. Walk us through that process. Yeah. So it was, you know, I didn't have a major right out of high school that I wanted to do as an undergraduate. Um, I, I thought maybe mechanical engineering, but when I entered college, it was just to start taking general electives and I didn't have a clear cut path from the get go. So I, I kind of bounced around, played with different ideas for about a year and a half or so. Started taking mechanical engineering courses uh, because I figured that was maybe the most likely route that I wanted to pursue. Uh, and then it was kind of during that time, I was always browsing the, the course catalog available online and just looking through all the different classes and what programs were available and came up, came across this uh, BUS program, the Bachelor of Undergraduate Studies program. So, you know, you get a BA, like a Bachelor of Arts or a, or a mm -hmm. BS, a Bachelor of Science. There's Bachelor of Undergraduate Studies, which is uh, basically they just allow you to, if your idea, if you can come up with a coherent plan or a coherent set of classes and pitch it in a, in a paper, in an essay, um, well enough and, and convince a committee. I think there's a committee of nine or 10 uh, university faculty members uh, that you sit down in a room with and, and pitch your idea. But yeah, my combination of classes, I guess it, it just started because I, I was pretty sure I wanted to do something in, in engineering or the hard sciences. I was always good at math. Um, but once I discovered that you could pick and choose your own classes. And as long as you could pitch it right, you could uh, get it approved by the university and recognized as a degree. I was, it was, an, it was a no brainer for me. Um, I have an art background. I, I was always kind of making, you know, always in four years of woodshop in high school and taking all kinds of art classes. And I, I just think that there's this disconnect in, in academia. I actually wrote about this in a, in a scholarship essay that I was awarded, uh, I wrote about the disconnect between art and science. And typically people kind of view these disciplines as uh, two separate pillars, if you will. You know, you've got the scientist, the analytical thinker, and you've got the artist. And typically you're, those are kind of separate in school. You, you take art classes and science classes and it's not often where you get to to marry the two and so yeah generally speaking i that was kind of my thesis i i told them i didn't i didn't have a set job that i wanted to pursue you know some people go to school and know that they're going to graduate and become a nurse or that they're going to graduate and become an engineer at a company my pitch was basically look i'm i'm going to take math classes i'm going to develop an analytical mind that is able to look at hard problems whatever it may be and I'm going to develop a creative mind. Um, I'm going to take these sculpture classes and uh, yeah, working in 3D is, is I enjoy it a lot more than working in 2D. So I think you, yeah, I, I got a lot to unravel there. I mean, first off, you have the DNA of people that Josh and I love to be around. You know, it's just the sculpting, the physics, the math, the scientific, scientific foundation, like it's the type of makeup that we enjoy you know, picking the brain of even furthermore, you're a lot like us in the sense of like, you went to college and didn't know what you wanted to do. That's common. You know, we went, I went to college to drink and hang out with women. And the next two years into it, I'm like, all right, now I want to, do you have a question, Josh? I want to. 
No, I was going to say, if I could have made up my own major, it would have been like odds making and derivative trading. Yeah, yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah, like you said, we went to college. I agree with you. Right? We went to college. You didn't know what you wanted to do. You just played around for a couple of years and you finally fine tuned what you liked and picked the direction. And um, I think one thing that you said in there that, that I laughed about that I recently heard about how arts and sciences are, our arts and science are at, a, at odds. And that's like a recent stupid and damaging argument for the world because those things are awesome I mean, there's a lot of people like shakespeare and beethoven that all do those things in combination with each other and there's a famous uh uh he's like an australian speaker his name's tim Minchin. if you've heard of him he's a lot of things he speaks about this all the time about how just science is just basically humankind's uh incremental understanding of knowledge and how it grows and arts and sciences should work together and uh the fact that you wrote a thesis on that and how academia uh didn't really understand it's pretty cool and you know, I have thousands of questions about, okay, man, you came out of college, probably broke, poor, 24 years old, why Bitcoin? How'd you even have Bitcoin? Where did it even come from? 2017, it got popular to some degree. I mean, that's a lot of questions, but uh, go ahead. You both have questions. Go back to your thought. Yeah, so. Um, like how did you get into Bitcoin after college with no money? Like, it's not really something a, 20, <laughs> a middle 20-year-old well, would think about. You know, I, I think that was kind of just a stroke of luck. So I was I was thinking about that earlier today, how how I got interested in it. You know, it, maybe 2012 or 2013, I, I knew people who were using it, uh, as many people do. Uh, I, I had crossed paths with it before, uh, but never thought anything of it. And then I I believe in 2017, kind of right before that run-up, it was in the spring of 2017, Bitcoin is maybe a thousand bucks or something. Uh, somebody, a, a friend on Facebook of mine just posted, uh, he, had, he had been in the market since 2013, had made a ton of money on it. Uh, he's actually now retired and uh, lives in Hawaii. Mm. Uh, bought a property in Hawaii with Bitcoin. And... I knew that he was making, somehow I knew that he was making a bunch of money on this, whether it was through posts that he had shared on Facebook or something or another, but basically in yeah spring of 2017, he posted basically really bullish sentiment on Bitcoin and saying, Hey, you guys should check this out. Something's happening here. Uh, you know, he had been in the space for four years already. So I think it was more so just, Hey, I'm making a bunch of money here and there's a bunch of potential uh, for money to be made. And so I think that I was initially drawn in for the allure of, I hadn't had any, I had never bought a stock in my life up, up until this point. So this is something that we'll get into, but you know, Bitcoin is my first, uh, introduction to markets in general, which is pretty weird. I think I, I a lot of people come from traditional markets, uh, and then, learn about Bitcoin after. Yeah. Bitcoin was my, uh, the first market that I learned of. And yeah, like I said, I think it was just initially drawn in for the sake of buying a cool investment and being in something really niche where there's potential upside. And then when I started watching all the YouTube videos and reading, reading everything about it, I was like, holy shit, we there's something crazy going on here. This whole blockchain technology is, has the potential to disrupt a lot of a lot of different industries and yeah once you start going down the rabbit hole and learning about all these projects and kind of what's possible 
uh, with the tech that underlies it, not just Bitcoin itself. You know, Bitcoin's fascinating just as um, just what it is, you know, a, a store of value or, you know, some people say a digital currency. But yeah, the tech that underlies it is just as fascinating and there's all kinds of things that are possible with it. So yeah, I, I'd say that's kind of my, how I got introduced to Bitcoin. I think what you do is you lead on to a lot of good things that Grant and I, we just don't understand. Like we, we are business people. We are sales guys. We are marketers and entrepreneurs at heart. Here you are, you're a, you're a math guy and you're a, a sculpting guy, you know, you're an art guy. And when you brought up trading, we talked a lot and I didn't understand a lot of things you, you taught me the first, you told me about the first time. Now I pull up the charts and I'm like, Oh yeah, we got a consolidation range here. I'm like, ah, guess what? Like at 10 K we consolidated for like two quarters it felt like um but it plays into its hand nicely because it's math but then also the way the charts and the way the numbers move and the way you get wicks and the way they get candles i know i'm saying a bunch of things that people don't understand we're going to get into that but there is a little bit of an art to it and i remember you told me it was like well i was like how do you decide what line to draw like in grant you've seen the lines drawn on charts and stuff like oh break out here or yeah. break down here it's common on my Twitter feed. You know, I just tell people we have the having you have Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, you know, like you get earnings reports four times a year. I get them once every four years. That's how, that's how I tell people. And, and I love that example. So real quick, like what's a wick and what's the candle? A candle is, I would say a, a unit of measure of time on a chart. So an asset like Bitcoin that its price changes over time in a, single candle represents a unit of time. So a single candle candle could, yeah, a single candle could represent a day, a single candle could represent five minutes, it could represent an hour. And uh, typically on these trading platforms or on, on a charting platform, you can, you can change to whatever time frame you want. So you can uh, view daily candles or hourly candles, or you can get even down to minute candles if you wanna see the action that's happening in real time. Uh, a lot of that stuff is just noise though. So probably avoid the one minute candles unless you're a crazy day trader or something. But um, yeah, and then a wick is a part of a candle. So a candle, I mean, you can think of it, uh, a candle on a chart looks like a candle does in real life or at least a two dimensional version of a candle in real life. So there's the body, you know, the wax part of the candle. And then there's the wick that sticks out. And what that wick is on a chart is it represents the body of the candle represents the opening price and the closing price of whatever time frame you're on. So if, if you're on the hour, if you're on hourly candles, uh, the bottom of the candle, if the price goes up, may represent where the price started at the beginning of that hour. And then the top of the body of the candle uh, would represent where the price closed at the end of the hour or where the price is at the end of the hour. And a wick is just where the price might've reached up to or down to within that hour. So how do you, how do you use those? Uh, I would say it's not an area. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it because I, I trade pretty frequently. I don't know how frequently, but uh, you know, I trade and I have a lot of different variables in which I use clearly the candles and the wicks are nothing to the pedigree of what you do. Uh, how do you, how do you even use that to your advantage? Um, you know, you get, you bring up a candle and you're like, this is the time to buy. This is the time to sell. How do you even, 
how do you even evaluate that? Well, um, I think a single candle, you know, it does convey information, but the more candles that you have next to one another, the more information you're going to get. Yeah, you more data uh, in front of you, so you just have a better... Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you can still get a lot of information from a single candle, though. So let's imagine prices dropping really fast. So you're seeing these these candles print, and they're they're getting bigger and they're getting steeper and they're and they're dropping off a cliff and prices falling really fast. But then, one candle just completely reverses and and goes, it, it turns from a red candle to, you know, so there's red candles and green candles. Red means price is dropping and green means that uh, price is, is rising. And so if you have a, a candle that starts red, drops, and then completely switches to green, then it's just a giant, a giant wick that's down. And I guess, think about what, what does that mean? If you see, if you see price attempted to go far down and then got bought up extremely quickly and it that candle is just a giant red wick well that could mean that uh sentiment shifting and people want to buy there and that there's that there's demand at that whatever price that may be at a lot um, of people bought the dip at that that point yeah exactly and so uh yeah i think uh, obviously that's just a, a single candle but then uh yeah it's multiple candles and in combination that tell kind of give you a a richer story of what's going on with the price action yeah I, a good example go right, ahead. I'll, I'll jump in i got a really good example of this is we're recording now bitcoin's at like thirty-five thousand. uh for those of you that are following it most of you on this podcast it, it reached up to 41.5 there was a significant um action that showed a lot of bullish there was about the 30 and correct me if i'm wrong alec there was a there's what we call a dragonfly or a hammer candle uh basically a really long wick down all the way call it to like i don't know 32 33 but then it closed much higher so again the dips are being bought so hard in this atmosphere and feel free to jump in here if you alec if you see anything that i don't see but i was trying to pull this up and I mean, just the massive where it, it dropped way down, bought back up. And even now you saw it went down to 30K today and now it's already been bought back to 35. That's an example of like, you know, in a real quick, it gets bought down to like 32 and it, and it closes back at 35. Basically it bounces off a price level. Yeah, I read the, I mean, I know what you're saying. I, I, I don't, I guess I don't digest it that way. I digest it in a fact. Like Bitcoin's a good example for me because I'm, I think it's going to hit just some ridiculous number at some point. So I view it as like a bunch of weak hands are dropping off their money to a bunch of strong hands. It's really, really how I view it. It's like a lot of people are selling right now because they're nervous and all the people who still believe in the long term are just going to continue to buy it up. And enough people bought it up at 30 to make it continue to basically, I don't know, catch it, bounce, but basically start going back up again. Is didn't bottom out, but a lot of your options traders had to sell before the end of their date. So And then that, that money eventually went right back into the, the pool of people who wanted to own it. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's it's uh, the transfer of money between or from weak hands to strong hands. That's that's a good way of describing those those wicks. <laughs> I like it. So um, I was going to ask you, do you see that similar process trending out? I actually I'm going to segue. You texted me the other day, and I heard this from Aaron, who you mentioned the other day, a really good friend of both of ours. Um, and, you, and you talked about taking profits. So I want to hear kind of your thought process about taking 
eight profits. I got a couple questions on that and then we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so look, I, I first got into Bitcoin in, in 2017 and was a part of the huge run up for those of you who aren't familiar, Bitcoin went crazy in 2017, topped out and then gave back a lot of, a lot of profit. And I was, I had a decent amount of cash or a decent amount of, you know, relatively speaking, the cash that I had at the time was also in altcoins. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had kind of an altcoin allocation and a Bitcoin allocation. And after 2017, we went into a, a probably a two and a half or three year bear market where uh, a lot of those profits were given back. And of course they've rebounded now and now we're trading back above all time highs. But I think that one of the reasons that I started trading, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, I, so I didn't really talk about my, uh, my background and, and why I started trading in the first place. I guess I could touch on that now. Uh, but I was fresh out of college and had money in there. It was kind of a perfect storm or I don't really know if it's a, a good thing that it happened or a bad thing, but for one reason or another, I went into the following fall after college, not having a job. And I was pretty heavy into Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to get a job and I'm going to see if I can, I'd been trading up until this point. I'd, uh, I had things that were working and I said, I'm going to see if I can sustain myself and pay for my living expenses just off of trading profits. Not, not taking money out of Bitcoin that I had invested, but rather using what was already in there to uh, enter and exit trades and you know, basically scalp profit and try and live off it. And I was able to do so. Uh, even through 2018, while Bitcoin was dropping, uh, those were some of my most profitable times trading was shorting Bitcoin, which I, I'm a little hesitant to say here, talking with, you know, you guys who are Bitcoin maximalists and I'm, I'm a bull, a perma bull myself, but, uh, yeah, you know, there's money to be made in both directions. And so you can either choose to be a part of it or you can watch your account value drop. That's funny because Michael Saylor, uh, had a, the CEO of MicroStrategy, Josh knows him very well. He's probably has his left kidney, uh, involved in that company. Uh, he, he thinks that that three-year run that you mentioned from 2017 to 2020, that bear, that bear run is about the only time you'll ever see that in Bitcoin. And uh, he's like, you know, those people, if you just held it for four years and moving forward, he doesn't think that run will ever hit three years again. He's like, maybe six months, but uh, that's how bullish she is. I mean, a maximalist, am I that? Uh, I mean, you tell me, but... <laughs> Well, I think in core, we are definitely back maximalists. Mm -hmm. Like we like Bitcoin and it's our favorite. But my question now to you, Alec, is what triggered you to decide, all right, I understand the long-term value, but the, definitely the short-term environment, whether that's one year, two year, three year, is very bearish. Like what made you, like what was your thought process through that? And then tell us what you're seeing in today's cycle. Well, I mean, at the time, I don't think that I, you know, it wasn't until six months in that I realized there was a consolidation period that happened after Bitcoin went on that 2017 run. And 
after that period, it, the price range got really tight, traded in a super tight range, and then it broke down. And when it broke down, I was like, okay, this is, this is the real deal. Um, <laughs> stuff is really dropping here. And it's all, it's all part of a typical market cycle. Um, you know, things go through hype cycles like this where they, the price goes really high. You see it across all kinds of sectors. You know, it happened in the dot-com bubble. Prices right. went rampant and then, and then crashed and didn't recover for another 10 years. But then once they did, they hit and blew through all-time highs. So I think in 2017, being a novice trader at that time, I don't think that I was able to look at this and say, I knew that if it broke down that I guess I knew right when Bitcoin hit around 20,000 and then dropped to, um, I don't, I don't know what it's initial team. I think it, it ripped pretty hard down. It ripped pretty hard down to 14, I think. Yeah, yeah. Once it got into this range, I actually remember talking to credit and saying that I thought it was going to be in, uh, a multi-year range that it wouldn't just break back up to all-time highs that we because that's what happens in markets is they typically when they have these blow-off tops like that they usually go up hard they wick down and then and then they find a range there's i think you know it's it's probabilities it's is it more likely to just recover immediately to all-time highs well no probably not i i think a lot of times the more likely scenario is that uh it finds somewhere in the middle and, and trades in these tightening ranges. And yeah, after that blow off top, that was my prediction, but you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fool's game to try and predict prices in my mind. It, it's very hard to be, I mean, it, it's totally speculative and I would rather be reactive off of price and, um, choose when I, when I'm a part of a market and it's, it's very empowering to be able to get in and get out as you please. What I think is important here is like, you're not necessarily guessing you're waiting for well-defined signals. What I took, so this conversation all spurred because you sent me a video about like a, a trader. It was like a three hour long video. I watched about an hour and what stuck with me about being a day trader. And this is what most people have a misconstrued, like view of a day trader, they're making a hundred trades a day. No, what this guy said is I make two or three trades a, a week, but I'm looking for very defined signals, you know, and we could say like the fancy terms, like the Fibonacci retrace, the bull candles, we could say all this fancy stuff, but that's not what's important. The core of it is you're looking for well-defined signals that tell you when to trigger or when to get in and get out. Exactly. And I think it should be noted that I'm not trading with all of my Bitcoin. I, I have Bitcoin that's set aside in a long-term no-touch position. However, after going through, after seeing price top out in 2017 and then not recover for another three years, you know, and, and seeing your account value drop 90%, you feel helpless and you're running off hope at that point. You hope that the price returns and you know, if you believe in the fundamentals of Bitcoin, you know, deep down in your heart, yeah, it's going to, it's going to rally back. And, you know, but who, who knows what's going to happen? Governments could, could come in and say, we're going to, we're going to make it a lot harder for you to get your hands on this thing. And then maybe a three-year bear cycle becomes a 10-year bear cycle. So do you really want to 
have your money locked up and not be liquid. See, when you're trading, you can, you can be liquid with your funds and you can use that money in, uh, when other opportunities come up and you can deploy money at other things and get in and get out. And I, I think it just, um, yeah, there's some level of freedom that comes with trading and saying that I, I have control of my funds and I'm not just sitting uh, watching this thing um, yeah, kind of just running off of hope. That's a, that's something I actually learned about eight to 10 months ago during the pandemic is like, you should always have cash on hand, man. Like you shouldn't like, you shouldn't look at your balance and know that it's all in equities somewhere. It's got like, you gotta, like, I always have like two $2,500 just sitting there in cash. And that's not a lot, but like when you see something and you want to buy it, you better have the money for it. I don't want to sell something to go buy that. And I mean, in your position, I, I feel for you because you, you were in a unique position where you lost 90% of what you had. And that's how you were making your rent. So uh, we talk about it from like an accessory. You were literally using that to trade to make money. So you never had to have a job. So I can, man, talk about strong hands. I hope you still have some of that. <laughs> um, question yeah. for you though, a, a conversation that's come up to me lately along, and I brought it up to Josh and we talked vaguely about it on other podcasts is there's this kind of belief system right now in the smart money world that Bitcoin's going to drop uh, down to 10, 12, 14 K for the Chinese new year. And I didn't really believe that once I saw this run up to 40. I was like, oh, there's no way. That's just way too far behind. And I saw this little drop and it, it kind of hit me in the head as I was thinking about it. I was like, man, we got $30,000 in like 48 hours. Is there still more room for that? What, what are you seeing right now? What's, what's your just general thought process through how you, you know, calculate when to enter and exit markets? Well, I mean, so there's been a few parabolic advances in Bitcoin's history. Love that word, um, by the way. And if you compare, so let's take the most recent advance in, in 2017 when the price ran up super hard and it was kind of going exponential. During that run up, you know, I don't have a chart on hand, but I think that there was maybe five dips of 25 to 30%. And so, you know, that's this kind of brings up a psychological point of looking at charts that after the fact, it's so, so obvious looking at the price history and, and seeing things. But when you're in the moment, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to imagine. Yeah. So I got a, a, a 2017 chart in front of me and it looks like there was six drops of 30% plus that, almost immediately recovered and kept pushing all time highs. And so if you imagine we're at that first 30%, I think price just on this most recent drop retraced 30%. If you imagine, you know, I'm not saying we are, but if the market is similar to 2017 right now, which it's quite a bit different in a lot of ways, you know, this is 2017 was largely retail driven by retail investors. And this is, uh, there's a lot more institutional buying happening right now. So the market's different in that way. But, you know, if you want to look at charts and draw comparison to charts, and if you're uh, doing technical analysis, then yeah, you could say there's definitely more potential upside. But, uh, you know, I don't like to get into the game of predicting prices. I'd rather react to it when it happens. And, you know, that's why having cash on hand and taking profits and not getting complacent, you know, the, the market's not an ATM. You can't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't expect money to be printed for you. And 
Lots of happening in today's world, though. So, I mean, I don't think, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, th- that's absolutely right. And I think that that's a, that's a red flag for me when you see people getting so greedy and, yeah, people just become numb to the, to the profits. They expect them. And I think that when you, when you see that, that should be a red flag that uh, things are getting <laughs> a little out of hand and that you should take some profit. I think this is a really good point. Like, cause I wake up and you know, I get on Twitter and granted you follow me and I'm just like pounding my chest. I'm like, eat shit, fucking bears, pieces of shit, you know, but also I'm ready for the pullback. Like I've been, like I've been in since 2017. Um, I got in it. My first purchase was 14, five, you know, when Alec and I first met, I think it was around like 9,500 and then it had a little bit bounce back, but I went through down to the 3,900 and I think I text you. I was arguing with my roommate downstairs, Alec, that I was like, hey, I had too many cocktails last night and I just bought a whole Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that text, no, but I, I, I was like, dude, wow. Or, and I, I sent it to another one too. And the whole thing, what I'm trying to, what I'm saying is like, you're very correct. And like, there isn't a time to take profits. But for me, I'm very, Grant, you said it, I have cash on hand. Mm-hmm. I don't need the cash. I'm not exposed to myself. I am playing you know, another having at minimum. So when I look at it, you know, so you say taking profits, like, what do you say to a guy like me who says, well, I'm just going to, I'm waiting for another having at minimum. I'm waiting for another four or five years. The only way I'm selling this is if I get the house on the hill. Like, what do you say to that? Look, everybody's goals and everybody's thesis is different. You know, no two people are the same in their financial situation, the amount of money that they have, uh, you know, their exposure to the market. Some people may only have a fraction, you know, it may be less than a percent of their net worth in this thing. And who cares? It's, it's like a night at the bar. And I, I don't really care what happens to that money. It could, it's as good as gone. Then yeah, let it ride. Wait for it to hit 200,000. Yeah. Inflation hits everyone differently. I, you know, I think I read this book recently. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you've ever heard of it, it's about real estate investing. But the general yeah. theme of the book and who he talks about the majority of the time is you should never work for money because that's how you get wealthy. And that's, you know, I talked, I called Josh today for like, I'm talking for like five minutes. My exact conversation with him was literally like the psychology of it is like, I got excited when it dropped down to 30 K and that sounds horrible, but I got excited because now I thought, Oh my God, it's cheaper for me to get in. I don't want to get in at 40. I want to get in at 30. Like that's exactly how I thought about it. And that's probably how he thought about it. But then talking to you, I realized taking profits, like it's kind of a game to some degrees and to some degree. And um, I never really thought about it that way. I was just like, I'm holding this forever until I buy a larger asset that can accumulate me some other form of wealth. And um, that's how, that's how I'm holding it. So it wasn't the 30 K to me was actually like euphoric. I was like, Oh fuck yeah. Like this is awesome. Oh my gosh. I got, actually, I got, I got point 0.1 for this instead of 0.005. So. Yeah. I mean, looking back at Bitcoin's history, when you're in a bull market, which we are right now, uh, buying the dips is a great strategy. And so, um, I just think that, you know, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees with anything. You can, a lot of things point to Bitcoin hitting, you know, super high. You can say it on this podcast. Yeah, yeah you, you can know, tell. <laughs> you, got these four, you got these institutions buying right now at, at 30,000, 40,000 saying we're not, our, our first target's 400,000. You know, none of that, it's not a guarantee though. You can't, 
you can't expect, you shouldn't just expect that because if you expect that and if you get too deep, you know, you can get burned. And I don't think that if you say, if you say, no, that's stupid. I like, I'm going to go all in this thing. Everybody's calling for super high price targets. Well, yeah, I, I just think that there's no, nobody can tell the future. Bitcoin has value because people, you know, people have agreed that Bitcoin is, is the main coin. It's, it's the one that's caught the most traction, but who's to say if, you know, if people start looking at Litecoin and people are calling Bitcoin the digital gold and, you know, if Litecoin starts becoming the digital silver and then people say, oh, I actually think the tech in Litecoin is better. And then that starts gaining some traction. And I don't know if you've used other cryptocurrencies, but there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies out there that uh, are much nicer to use than Bitcoin. It depends what you're using it for. You know, Bitcoin's a store of value. It's not necessarily suited for payments, but you know, there's other cryptocurrencies out there that are feeless, that are instant transactions. Uh, and so there's just no guarantee. And you know, Bitcoin is the main one and it has the highest probability of of being the big dog in the future and, and having high higher valuations than it has now. But like I said, there's no guarantee. And so you shouldn't, you shouldn't just expect that. What I, what I like here is you're a crypto guy, right? Like you, you know, this space a lot more than I do and Grant, Grant and I do in, in terms of the longevity of it. And we are sold on Bitcoin and we, or I only own Bitcoin. I know Grant has a little bit more, but he's only got little sprinkles in it. Mm-hmm. And I get what you're saying. Don't go all in. And I, like, I'm not all in from a kid. Like if it goes to zero, it will hurt, but I'm going to be fine. Like it's going to hurt, but I, I, I get what you're saying. And you know, I, I combat a lot of the people, you know, we had our environmental manager show up today. He's like, Oh, I heard you're into cryptocurrencies. And I was like, well, oh, I'm in Bitcoin, you know, first off. And he's like, Oh yeah. I was like, Oh, so which one are you in? You're in Ethereum. And he went to the worst one. He went to XRP. So I, I kind of, I kind of laughed at him. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't laugh at him. I was like, oh, hey, man, good luck. Well, we're just looking for regulatory clear- clarity. And I'm like, well, this is the difference between a, a finance guy and an environmentalist. Like, not, not environmental engineers, I should say. I shouldn't call them like that. What I'm, what I'm going back to is, like, you outlined a lot of things. And Grant and I have, well, I specifically have my opinion that I don't need these other coins. But let's go ahead and roll into, you've clearly outlined some, there's some value in the other stuff. What other, you know, you mentioned Litecoin, you mentioned some other stuff. Go ahead. And I know you, you have some altcoins that you're looking at, but you're looking at them very specifically to stack more Bitcoin mainly. Um, but you're also looking to catch some, some runs. So let's, let's talk about those. Yeah. And I should say, I'm obviously none of this is financial advice. Don't yeah, buy, yeah. don't buy any coins that I, Disclaimer. Yeah. I shill on here. Just we, we give the disclaimers shill. at the end. Don't oh, okay. Worry. Okay. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. Look, you, you you have to know too that a lot of these, most of these coins, are probably going to go to zero eventually. That something you just have to be aware of going into because they're, it, it's so early in the space. Yeah, and I think we all expect that, but there's definitely if if ten go to zero and one goes to twenty x, you make money. So talk to us a little bit about the strategy of, of analyzing these altcoins. 
allocating positions. So just talk to us about the whole game of how you look at these altcoins. Sure, yeah. Usually I like to play altcoins uh, for shorter amount of times. So I, I do have some altcoin positions that I've held since 2017 and I probably won't sell until, uh, you know, I don't really have a price target even. I'm j just holding them at this point. Money's already in, don't care about them. Mm -hmm. And how I'm playing altcoins now is, you know, there's typically, the correlation that typically exists between Bitcoins and altcoins, uh, altcoins like Bitcoin to be bullish, but for Bitcoin to be stable. So the range that we're forming right now, Bitcoin's been on a run uh, for the past several months. It just topped out uh, barely above 40,000, pulled back to 30,000. Me as a trader, I'm looking that, at that as a range. So we just got a really nice bounce off of 30,000. Right now, that makes me think that the short-term low is in and that the short-term high is in. So we have a high of you know, 40,000. We've got a short-term low of 30,000. I expect Bitcoin to be in that range for a, a couple weeks, maybe. Um, you know, I, sh I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be, I'm not trying to predict what's going to happen, but I think that the most probable scenario is that Bitcoin doesn't run to new all-time highs immediately, but that it forms a tightening range between 40,000 and 30,000. And so that's the stability that I was talking about with Bitcoin that altcoins like. We have a bullish Bitcoin environment. Bitcoin is obviously ran. There's been nice profits across the uh, cryptocurrency board. And when people are going to take those Bitcoin profits, you know, there's plenty of people that are heavy in profit right now and they're going to look for gains elsewhere. And so they're going to take their Bitcoin and they're going to roll it into altcoins. And if Bitcoin finds a stable range and trades sideways, then you'll absolutely see altcoins pumping. And so what I'm personally looking at right now uh, are just, you have a lot of, I think a lot of the buying that's going on right now, I don't think that there's necessarily a lot of new retail buyers coming in yet. I think retail buyers are, uh, I think Bitcoin's starting to get people's attention again, but I don't think that there's a ton of new customers. You know, you look at 2017, there was exchanges, Coinbase, Bi uh, I think Binance actually stopped accepting new customers in 2017 because they couldn't keep up with the, it, it, their systems were breaking. There was so much interest in it. That's not happening right now. And so what I think is happening, the retail buyers who are coming in are people who were buying in 2017 uh, who are kind of you know, getting back into it. And what I'm personally looking at are the easiest coins to buy, uh, which some of them are a lot of them around Coinbase. If you're a US customer, Coinbase is your onboarding platform and you only have a select handful of coins available there. Those are the easiest ones for people to buy. Um, uh, they're vetted and you know, supported by Coinbase. They're not total scams like some of these other coins on third-party exchanges or decentralized exchanges. Uh, yeah, so I've just kind of, you know, I can outline a couple uh, 
Yeah. Give us your, like, give us the ones that you like and why. And oh, yeah. I mean, spoiler real quick. I got our my, my Binance account. Apparently, you couldn't trade in the U.S. So I was like, two years ago, I texted Josh. I was like, I can't even get my money off of Binance. Uh, anybody with a U.S. account isn't even allowed to get in there anymore. And yeah, I was I a previous have, customer. I think they have Binance U.S. now. Which now is- they do. I got it off like six months ago, but two years ago, I was like, so I can't even touch my money. You had to hire like an Armenian guy to like get in there and get your stuff yeah. off the exchange. You had to pay him forty percent. I, I I felt that when you said you know Binance, I started laughing. It's like ah, I was one of those people. I I had an account and I couldn't even get into it. Yeah, and so from a a fundamental perspective, uh, one of the reasons I I feel safe about if I'm buying altcoins, looking at Coinbase coin or coins that are listed and available for trading on Coinbase is because. That's one thing that's changed since 2017. 2017, at least for U.S. Uh, customers, there were more options available. And, you know, there is still Binance U.S. And I think there's Bittrex U.S. And some other ones as well. But, uh, you know, people who are, were around in 2017 during this large retail run who may have had Bittrex or Binance accounts that now get these messages, hey, you're locked out. Mm-hmm. Well, the only option that they have, unless they, you know, learn about Bitrix US or make a new account with uh, an exchange that's supported, well, they know Coinbase works. And so I think that uh, when retail starts looking for gains in altcoins, that uh, some of the larger cap coins that are available on Coinbase are are safe bets in my eyes. So, so you have, yeah, you want to go first? Full, have a lot full disclaimer. Too. You know, I, I pound Bitcoin because I'm not willing to put in the work that Alex put in that most of you may or may not put in. I put the I put the time in on like stocks and option trading there. But there is going to be opportunity to catch some of these altcoins. Um, absolutely. You will catch some of these things, but I, I don't know when to get in and I don't know when to get out. So that's just not my game. But he is absolutely correct. There is an opportune time. And I'm going to put you on the hot seat here in a minute, Alec, after we, we throw it back to Grant. But I don't know when to get in and when to get out. Grant, what do you have that? Well, let me start by saying I largely agree with Josh, and I'm like 95% Bitcoin. Like I, I see it. I know it. I know enough about it. I've done my research. Now I'm just in affirmation mode, and that's just the store of value for me. And, uh, but the one thing I tell Josh all the time, and this is where you probably agreed with me. Is like, there's always more than one winner. You know, there's not just one, there's not just one Facebook. It's Facebook. It's Apple. It's uh, that they call it Fang for a reason. You know, like there's more than one company that when tech hit this whole, this past decade, I mean, those Fang companies were just pulling along the S and P 500. They, they basically built that S and P 500. So there's going to be not just Bitcoin. There's going to be three, four five. I don't know what the number is. There's just a shitload of cryptocurrencies out there. And most will go to zero, but there are good ones. And uh, I have two in my mind that I, that I like, and I have money in like five or six of them, a couple hundred bucks, might throw a couple hundred more. Um, two of them that I would tell you that I can tell you right now are Tron and uh, Chainlink. Tron, what's up? Yeah, Tron for one reason, uh, it's just a decentralized internet. It's they basically, I think the internet at some point here in the near future was the wild, wild west. I think that wild, wild west, those days are over. Uh, not yet, but I think in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be far more moderated and people are going to want a decentralized internet. And it also owns BitTorrent, BitTorrents. I think someone like, I don't know if you know what BitTorrents are. Um, that's why I like Tron and then Chainlink. Uh, the Link Marines is what they call them, but essentially it's just an Ethereum token. It's smart contracts. It allows APIs and people to 
essentially it's a secure payment network for something and, and facebook is someone who want, owns a lot of it because they started they tried to build libris I, i'm rambling but these are my two uh but i do like altcoins for the reason that you could throw a hill mary get rich uh but if you lose it all you lose a couple hundred bucks all right there it is so real quick we're gonna put you on the hot seat on chain link and then Tron. <laughs> Sure. I mean, if you don't even have to agree with those, those are my two, and I and I no, try they're, to they're both es- they're both established projects, and uh, Tron has Justin Justin Sun, yeah, uh, who is obviously a, a pretty well respected individual, very smart guy. Uh, I think that's an important quality of a project is to have a good leader, and uh, yeah, so I. You know, I don't, I don't own any Tron myself. Uh, Chainlink has obviously gone on quite a run uh, pretty recently or in the past year. Um, so if you have some of that, you're, you're doing great. I have gone in and out of Chainlink positions. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is kind of a good transition to say why... I invest into all or why I put money into altcoins. I'm looking to get in and get out because if you know the times to get in and get out, you can catch pretty big swings in a short amount of time. I've had a couple coins in the past month do 300 plus percent uh, in a month. And so if you can catch swings like that, it's, and you know the right time to get in and get out, not saying that you have to catch the whole 300%. You, you know, it's really hard to do that unless you're, you got to get kind of lucky or it, it, it's almost a little bit irresponsible to just expect to get a pump like that. It's not out of the ordinary in crypto, but you know, you don't have to catch the whole thing, but you can catch a part of the action and still do pretty well. So that's kind of my thesis uh, or that's how I personally use alts. Like I said, I have some no touch positions, but I am mainly looking to just, uh, hold them for a few weeks at a time, even sometimes a few days at a time. If I, if I get a nice pump on one, I like the process that you have. You have a clearly defined goal with alts, right? You're, you're not trying to sit there and say, Oh, this one's, well, this is the MySpace, the Facebook or yada, yada, yada. You're trying to catch a runner and it's going to give you an incredible amount of gain, but on a small position of, your what we are going to call crypto stack which is mainly bitcoin talk to me about how much like you have a bitcoin stack that's what you know the crypto guys call it how much are you trading with and how much are you like in cold storage or just stacked away yeah so i'm i probably have 60 percent stacked away which is a small amount for a lot of people a lot of people trade with uh, you know 10 percent or five percent of their stack, but, um, I trade with quite a bit more, uh, and I'm pretty conservative with my trading. A lot of time, if it's Bitcoin, for example, I usually take maybe three, three trades a year. Uh, so pretty slow. I would call myself a swing trader. I, I did the day trading thing in 2017. It's pretty brutal. You know, some nights, would pull all nighters, get woken up at four in the morning or three in the morning by a, a price alarm just to find out that I stopped out at a $4 loss. You know, it, yeah. like I, it was just not, not for me way too much work. And these swing positions, if you just look at 
not only is it less work when you look at longer time frames, but you can also increase your confidence and there's less noise in the chart. So what happens at smaller time frames is you have a lot of competing interests and a lot of algos or a lot of algorithms uh, that are doing high frequency trading against one another. And if you're looking at the one minute chart, yeah, there are emergent patterns that do form on the one minute chart, but a lot of that is just noise. And the further you zoom out, the more clear and, and the more clean the patterns become. And I'll tell you what, crypto, there's some really clean patterns that emerge. I, I think because it's a uh, speculative market, you know, there's not earnings on Bitcoin. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tougher thing to value. And I think that it trades true to technical analysis uh, a lot more so than some traditional stocks do. I've so, never heard of anybody who trades 60% of their stack, but they call themselves conservative. That's, a, that's interesting. 40, 40%. Uh, oh, you trade 40% of your stack. That's like being at a blackjack table and just waiting and waiting and waiting and putting it all in because you counted the cards and just hoping you hit. And then you just kind of do that repetitively over the course of a night so it's uh it's a, it's a strategy i mean uh, the loss hurts but the win is like fuck yeah okay i feel good well yeah and i you know those trades are are confident trade those are high probability trades that i take and yeah you're a math guy it's calculated i get it i, I just don't think people have the same acumen you have so like the general trader is you know stupid yeah it's, it's probably ill-advised to uh <laughs> trade with with that much of, of your money. So I have two questions for you. The first one is going to be, you've listed out, well, you told me, I know this is pre, like we were talking, hanging out. You said, well, I gave my dad an, a list of like eight altcoins. Like list those out for the, for the listeners. And again, not financial advice. You don't have to worry about that, but you can say, if your money is in it, you know, I run a betting podcast. We put all of our money into our picks that we give out. So if your money's in it, give it out. Like, let's, let's, let's hear your thoughts. Just rip down a list real quick. Sure. I think I've got some Litecoin, some Ethereum. Uh, those are, are two good bets. I think Ethereum is really bullish. Um, so I, I feel good about Ethereum. I think that there's Stellar Lumens. Uh, you know, somewhat similar to Ripple, but Ripple's market share, it, it, Ripple's being delisted on a lot of exchanges <laughs> right now. Uh, they're in trouble with the SEC and that that money has to flow somewhere. And so uh, Stellar and Ripple have always been kind of correlated and uh, yeah, it has produced some nice gains. I think that having DeFi exposure, and this is where I'm kind of looking in the future, is towards the DeFi space, and I'm trying to learn uh, more about that. I think that, you know, having exposure, whether it be through synthetics or uh, yearn, mm -hmm. I, I think I have some YFI. Did you get it when it hit 40, or did you, did you get in when it was like 17 and you ripped it to 40 and sold, or whatever that number? Yeah, I, I think around fif 15. Um, yeah, I feel good about, I just think having DeFi exposure is going to be a great thing. I was mentioning the fee-less and instant transaction cryptocurrency earlier. That's Nano. That's not available on Coinbase, but, uh, if you've ever used Nano, it is amazing. It, you, you send it and it shows up instantly and there's zero fee. It's, it's pretty incredible. 
Um, yeah, those are just some of the some of the picks. It, not necessarily, you know, those are those are kind of some tucked away longer term positions. But I'm also in and out of a lot of uh, alts that I so didn't list there. I'm going to interject another question before I get to my. I won't say final question, but my penultimate question is going to be what what about what about Cardano? I've heard a lot about this one. This thing, Grant's blowing me up about that. Grant, I always say I salute you because I've gotten texts from buddies. Like I'm the Bitcoin guy. People come to me now. Thanks to Alec, come to me for Bitcoin, but I also get all of their what I call shitcoin. And so that's still my opinion. But they come to me. Give me your Cardano take real quick. Yeah, Cardano. Cardano's great tech. I remember uh, learning a lot about it kind of right when I, right when the project first came out. They've got a lot of, isn't it like MIT professors or something or MIT guys on that team. So, you know, their, their tech is pretty solid. Uh, I've seen, you know, if you're not on Twitter and you're into cryptocurrencies, I highly recommend getting on Twitter because Twitter is a great place to, follow other people who are smarter than you, who have a lot more money in the space than you, and to get an idea of general sentiment, you can get an idea of what people are looking at and catch pumps a lot through there. Uh, but I've also seen people post, I don't know, I have a kind of a, I haven't owned any Cardano. I think I had a small position at one point uh, that I got out of. Uh, it's been on my radar. I did watch people praise Cardano to no end through the entire, you know, past three year cycle as it just kept bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And it's gained, it's gained quite a bit of that back, at least in a US dollar valuation. But uh, yeah, I, from what I remember about Cardano, it's, it's got great tech and like I said, a solid team behind it. Uh, don't currently own any, but has been on my watch list and is something that I'm kind of wait, waiting for a, a good setup. Okay. My, my final question that I have for you is you mentioned some things could be Bitcoin. Give me your one take that could take it down. You know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, how big Bitcoin is, you know, we're a $700 billion market cap. The network effects are very in play here, but Give me your one take, and we're not going to hold you to it, but like, let's say you're getting paid 100 to 1 to beat Bitcoin. What do you take it? Oh, man, that's, that's tough. You could you know, be wrong. That's okay. We just want to hear your thoughts. Well, process. you're getting paid 100 to 1 on this bet, in theory. Yeah. yeah, so I guess are you looking for something to overtake Bitcoin in market cap? Or yes. are you yeah, looking yeah, for yeah. something to overtake the exact same role? No, market cap, popularity, all those things. That it is officially the coin. Ether the Ethereum. Okay. Yeah, I think Ethereum, you know, the, the internet is this application layer that all of these websites have built on and this whole, you know, it's the infrastructure that was put in place that now, you know, you've got these YouTubes, these Googles, Facebooks, all built on top of it. And the same thing is happening right now on Ethereum where it's a, it's a layer that applications can be developed on top of. And a lot of the DeFi space, the decentralized finance, which has been incredibly hot lately, uh, a lot of those applications are built on Ethereum. And so Ethereum seems to be the 
application layer that's catching the most traction right now. They just introduced Ethereum 2.0, which uh, helps some of the scalability issues. Um, yeah, I think right now it would seem that Ethereum is the best rival to Bitcoin. It's gone on quite a run too. So, you know, I'm not sure that you just buy going straight into all-time highs, but you know, Ethereum, it, it, it could run. Nobody, nobody really knows it. The thing is, is if you have one killer application that's built on top of Ethereum, that may be all it takes to just skyrocket not only that application's valuation, but also Ethereum because it's uh, what that ecosystem or that's what that application's built on. So yeah, if I if I had to put my money on a hundred to one to to take over Bitcoin, it'd be on Ethereum. I mean, Ethereum's trading at like a little under eleven hundred dollars and. Bitcoin sitting somewhere in like 34-ish, what Josh said. I mean, you think it can actually get to 34K? Uh, you know, <laughs> to 34K, I have no idea. I <laughs> that, that might be a stretch. But like I said, something I was kind of talking about earlier, just the psychology, when you're in the moment, there's no way that it's trading at a, a thousand right now and could go to you know, that'd be a 30 X return. No way. But then yeah. if you look at the chart in 10 years, you'd be kicking yourself right now for not buying. So, you know, yeah, it, it could happen. I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to put all my, all my money on it, but uh, yeah, I have some exposure to it in the event that it did happen. And, and what you said, very correctly. I gave you a hundred to one on that wake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I made it a, all right. If I, if anything could beat it, it would be this because I'm going to ask you a little bit of different set of questions here. Um, you know, you're, you're calling Ethereum the internet. I've heard this a lot that applications will beat on top and it might be a platform built on top of that, but technically the internet didn't make any money. The ones that made all the money were the service providers and were the applications that get, get paid. So how does Ethereum, because is it because people have to buy Ethereum to then buy these stable coins to buy these things? Because what I asked, very valid question, but how I explained it, very valid answer. Yeah. So I think you kind of alluded to it there is Ethereum is kind of the base currency for some of these applications or uh, what these, how you get access to these ERC 20, they call them ERC 20 tokens um, that are, tokens of these the native tokens of these applications yes you need ethereum to uh, transact in that environment and so higher demand for the tokens means higher demand for ethereum in my eyes and i think that yeah there's definitely truth to that statement so is there an application that gets built on top of ethereum that could be worth a substantial amount of money let's let's say an uber a google a youtube Facebook? Well, what I was talking about, this uh, general DeFi term uh, stands for decentralized finance. There's a lot of applications that are uh, taking off. And for those of you who aren't familiar with DeFi, it's kind of a blanket term for uh, a bunch of different ideas that are coming out of tra traditional finance. So I think one of the most compelling is this idea to collateralize your 
your crypto. So you can use these DeFi applications to get uh, their collateral based loans. So you don't need, you know, there's no KYC. You don't have to fill out applications. If you have the collateral for the loan, you can get the loan and the liquidity is there. If you need, you know, there's huge liquidity in, or there's a huge amount of liquidity in DeFi right now uh, for people who want it. And I think that's a fascinating uh, aspect of DeFi is this idea for anybody to be able to qualify. You know, I, I was reading something on Twitter the other day about some guy who uh, is worth multi-millionaire, worth like $20 million or something. Uh, and he wanted to get a loan for a house and the banks were giving him a hard time. I, you know, I don't know the whole backstory behind it, but this guy's getting, is having a hard time doing this through the banks and in 20 minutes gets a $5 million loan through DeFi using his, his Bitcoin as collateral. He doesn't have to exit his Bitcoin long. He can, he can keep that long, but he can be liquid US dollars. And I think that idea is really fascinating. It really allows anybody to be able to get loans. And if you're fortunate enough to live in a place like the United States or be in a, a situation where getting a loan is not a problem for you, it's maybe a little bit harder to relate, but I think that there's a lot of other places in the world where uh, being able to collateralize crypto and take place in these financial products that are maybe tougher for people to get access to or not quite as inclusive. Uh, yeah, it's just one thing that I see being disrupted or one thing that I think is interesting about uh, DeFi. Yeah, one thing I like about DeFi as well, let me jump on this. I listened to Michael Saylor give an interview a little while back and he, he talked about like DeFi and how whales can enter and exit markets and it won't even really hit a basis point. So it won't even go up or down one basis point. Like that's how like powerful it is. Like people can't manipulate it like you can manipulate fiat and that's the advantage of it. It's incredibly liquid and you want that in your currencies. And I hit a long rant, but that's the generalization I took from it. I was like, holy shit, like you can, you can trade $125 million right here and it won't even go up or down a basis point. Like that's, it's incredible. You would never find that in American currency today or just any currency in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So DeFi is also enabling these decentralized exchanges where there is no order book. So on a normal exchange, you have bids and you have asks. Mm -hmm. Well, in DeFi and on decentralized exchanges like Uniswap, you have liquidity pools. So the, the liquidity is there for people to access. And, you know, there's that statement right there. And just the fact like how these liquidity pools are built is super, super interesting and has opens up all kinds of, it opens up the ability to make markets about anything. If you want, if you wanted to, uh, I don't know. What's a good example. If you were a bird watcher and wanted to, uh, bet on the amount of birds that were in Salt Lake city on, uh, in the summertime, you could make a marketplace on that and you could, you could put millions of dollars down if you wanted to 
as long as there's a, a data feed coming in, you know, the, it's smart contracts that are built on top of Ethereum that are enabling this. But basically anything with a data feed can be turned into a market. And these liquidity pools allow you to take up huge position sizes, which is game changing for people looking to uh, looking for yield. What ultimately I hear is, and again, Bitcoin maxi, like that's just who I am. There is so much opportunity in the financial realm that you're going to have multiple winners. You are. And Grant, you're absolutely correct. And I give you shit when you call me and you want to talk about link and like, I don't have time for you. Like, this is who I am, right? Like I, I stick to what I know, but I'm, this is what this podcast is about. Like I bring in someone who's a local expert on a specific topic that I don't know enough about. I can give you my opinion. It goes back to this whole this financial world is very secluded. It's very gatekeeper-ish. Um, we're now offering people to use their financial tools, to use their assets, to build wealth in different ways. So I have a question that I think both of you can answer before we probably wrap this up. We're, we're hitting about an hour. I, I, do you know who Chamath uh, Pali, I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, yeah. it's called Chamath. Chamath, so you both know who Chamath is, correct? Yeah. Uh, he did an interview the other day and he was talking about Bitcoin and he said, I think Bitcoin's going to hit 150 K and then from there, it's going to be something much bigger. Um, not really monetarily speaking. What do you think he meant by that? When he said something bigger, like what is it going to disrupt or what is it? Gonna I, do? I mean, I think at a, I think at a certain point when its price gets high enough, you know, right now it's still kind of a fly on the shoulder, I think to a lot of governments. Right. I agree. You know, it's, it doesn't have, it's not worth enough yet. There's not enough money invested in it to, uh, for it to be a, a big concern or a big worry to them. However, if, if it's market share, let's say goes 10 times what it is right now, then now we're starting to t talk about something that, you know, then it's like one of the largest asset classes in the world. And, I think that, you know, governments want control. They want their hand, they want to basically have control of the monetary system. And the whole promise or the whole allure of Bitcoin is to put that back into the hand, to allow people to be independent with their money and for them not to have intermediaries, have uh, people that are like, why should people be involved in, monetary transactions. If I, if I want to give you money, why do, why does the government need to know about it? And yeah, I, I think that as its price starts climbing and as it actually starts to lock up a larger amount of fiat currency. So as more us dollars start to get locked up in the system, then I think it starts to become a concern because, uh, you know, the higher the price climbs, the more powerful it becomes. And I don't know if Josh had anything to say about that. The thing, you bring up a lot of good things. And one thing is privacy. And we go back to that. And it seems kind of arbitrary. Like, ah, privacy, yada, yada, yada. But it's important. Like, we should be able to use our money how we see fit. At the end of the day, Grant, what we always talk about 
is inflation. We are being chewed away at by the Federal Reserve, by these fiscal and monetary policies. They're eating away our wealth unsubstantially. Like, I, I didn't understand it until I went to buy a house. And my wife and I, we make a lot of money for our age. And we're like, why can't we afford a house? In our, and we live in a really nice neighborhood, but we can't even afford a house within a, I don't know, a three-mile three mile radius. And you, you mentioned something about the government. And this is what I did. You saw me searching this on, on the screen here. There's only 500,000 politicians in the United States. If the people want to take back their money, we can. We just have to educate them. Like we just have to say, hey, you can opt out. It's a peaceful protest. We're not breaking into Capitol buildings. We're not flipping cop cars. We are simply deciding to sell our fiat for a harder asset. And that's what I think has to happen. And I think I'm betting that it will. If not, I'll at least have a digital gold that, I don't know, maybe make me a few X from here. <laughs> I mean, I, I want that to happen until I see some guy down the street walk down and interview people and be like, hey, who's the president? And they don't even know who that is. And you're like, how the hell do you not know who the president of the United States is? Or they're just like, hey, how many states are in America? And they're like, oh, 59. Like, how do you, what? Like, 64 years old, you don't know that. I, I agree with you until you interview normal people, and they just have no idea what's going on in the world. If if we if we all three went out and started interviewing people, we could find those people. It's really simple. They're cherry picking. Like you could do that. Like think about all the people you work with. I mean, they're not brilliant, but they're they're smart enough. They know yeah, enough yeah. about what's going on. They know people flipping cop cars is bad. They know people breaking into the into the Capitol buildings bad. Like it, like. We're both, we're all reasonable people. We're all in the middle. Like just the media portrays us and they split us. And I think we all need something to become like needs to drive us to the middle. And I think that's Bitcoin. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're not a third world country where it's like, you know, the adage of like, whoever has the gold makes the rules. Like here, like you saw what happened, like Elon Musk, like the pandemic happened and Elon Musk and all these just like crowdfunded ideas came about and started helping America out. And it's like, why can't our, the politicians were doing nothing but like your normal people like us who are the ones funding every like look at barstool right now and, you know he's just an example but barstool created some fund to help all these local businesses and you're like what the fuck's our governor doing like what is going on like how come this guy who owns a business has to save that guy who owns a business and i mean i'm happy i live in a place that could do that in capitalism but i, I feel bad for those countries have just really no say you know when you're just in you know the middle of africa and you're like i oh, you just i hope you survive yeah, I mean, the, the same system or basically the same system of government has been in place for a very long time. And things have changed so much since, you know, in the past 200 years. And I think currency is just is the base of our economy. It's what uh, capital it's what drives capitalism or is that the basis of capitalism? And I I just think that uh, being able to have control, complete control of your money without censorship, there have a finite supply of Bitcoin is, yeah, I don't know. There, there's just a there's a big draw to it, and I I, I hope it sees more adoption. I, I I hope it keeps going. I hope it keeps riding and. I think with all the money, I think 35% of all money in circulation was printed in the last seven months that's ever existed. And that's just in my eyes, feeding the, the Bitcoin fire. It's that's silly. saying, okay, holy shit. If the government can just print this money out of thin air, 
what is money even you know yeah, what why, would why is money worth anything because people say it is you know it's all just an experiment and right now the more the more market share bitcoin acquires the the stronger it becomes and uh you know it just needs to keep seeing adoption and that fire needs to be be fed constantly and yeah, I, I think if, if people keep piling in, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. So what I like to hear, what I basically hear is, as you mentioned earlier, you're a Bitcoin permable and you're a crypto opportunist. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I know that there's, there's opportunity and there's going to be some huge generational wealth opportunity in crypto. There has been, but there will continue to be new generational wealth building opportunities for the people that are educated and who know what they're doing. And I think that the more, another reason I like trading so much is because you actually become familiar with using the systems, with transferring money around, with moving around the space, you get, you get fluid and comfortable within it. And if this is, you know, if this is where the world is heading, if we're going to be reliant on crypto in the future, well, you know, I, I feel like I'm becoming fluent in it just like you would in a language or just like you would in programming or, or something. You're comfortable with the space and you know what you're doing. You, it's like second nature. And if there's big opportunities, I think that the more comfortable you are in the space, the easier and more confident you are jumping on opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I love the transparency of Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency world. I, you know, right now I'm under the belief system that like 15% of the S&P is just zombie companies and they got bailed out. It's like cryptocurrency wouldn't allow that. And that's why I'm bullish on it. It's like, let them die. Just let them, I mean, I don't want to say that because that's livelihoods, but like, that's what capitalism is. You know, like if you have a shitty product and you're a zombie company, like these bailouts aren't helping you. Like this is the hedge against that. That's my belief system at least. Ultimately, what we're trying to do here is help you find a little bit of opportunity. You know, or sorry, hang on. Luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. So get ready. So get ready. <laughs>